Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, the podcast with all the film recommendations and all the movie memories. That film is just incredible. It's so precise and so moving and disturbing. I love that. Every time it comes on, it makes me really smile. And that whole sequence is just genius, you know. That's a, a masterclass in action and comedy. I've got two distinctive and distinguished filmmaking guests on this show. You heard doc maker Mark Isaacs and the unique director Ben Wheatley there. Mark's latest doc is called The Filmmaker's House and he lets us and a host of characters into his own home. Ben Wheatley, however, is in the great outdoors for In the Earth a mushroom trip of a post-Covid foray into the woods. We'll hear more from both Mark and Ben about their intriguing-sounding projects, and we'll find out if they've seen any good films lately. Me, I've been watching a lot of football as the European Championships are in full swing. I will just mention the film The Reason I Jump, though, because it's an extraordinary documentary about autism a film that basically takes us into the minds of some autistic kids and teenagers to discover how they see the world differently. It's a film by Jerry Rothwell and based on David Cloud Atlas Mitchell's translation of the Japanese book of the film's name. And it's beautifully shot and extraordinarily sound designed. Yes, it's an emotional watch at times. Of course it is with its bursts of anger and its meltdown moments and these terrible frustrations. But, you know... The reason I jump is bursting with love and empathy, and it will literally change the way you see the world too. Let's catch up now with Mark Isaacs, one of our most productive, singular, yet unsung documentary makers whose wryly detached films have been observing British life for over 20 years, covering everything from the justice system to the A5 road, the Edgware Road, to the British seaside, the back of a taxi and a tower blocks lift. They're films about people, basically, everyday people and everyday problems. And in his latest work, the playful and delightful The Filmmaker's House, Mark turns the camera on his most personal project yet, filming visitors to his own home on one particularly busy and chaotic, yet perfectly ordinary day. This may be good for your movie. Good you being a hospital. <laughs> that is real. <laughs> Keith, just to be clear of you, I'm filming around the house today for this film that I'm making. You don't have to do anything that you wouldn't ordinarily do. You can just carry on as normal. Is that all right with you? All right, then. I wasn't expecting you to come today, Neri. Yes. I'm really sorry to hear about your mum passing away. Oh, Mac. was hard for me. We meet Keith the Builder, Neri the Colombian Cleaner, Mikhail, a local homeless guy who's from Slovakia, uh, the Pakistani neighbour bringing food left over from Ramadan feasts, uh, Mark's wife pops in. Yeah. So I began by asking Mark how he felt letting us all in to his home. The, the strange thing is with this film, at the beginning, I didn't really see myself as a kind of character in the film as such. And then when I started to have more conversations with the writer that I worked with, because he came on board a little bit, 
later, not right from the beginning. You know, he was sort of saying, well, you've got to push yourself forward a bit more as a character. You know, sometimes you're holding back and you need to kind of keep in the frame a bit. It's your house. And we started talking a lot about sort of hierarchy of, you know, the fact that this is the filmmaker's house. And then you've got the, you know, the hierarchy of Keith, who feels like he belongs in England, has a stake in this country. And, you know, the cleaner who's somebody I employ, obviously. I mean, the neighbour who's not from from uh, UK originally. And of course, Mikel, a sort of homeless person with probably the least status. So we spoke a lot about that hierarchy and how to sort of weave that into the, to the narrative. So at the beginning, I was <laughs> I sort of learned a lesson of sort of, I just saw myself as myself and then realised actually that, you know, I was also part of this fiction, as it were, you know. I also wondered if Mark, who's an in-demand lecturer and tutor at several UK film schools, felt that home movies and personal movies shot on phones, for example, were where cinema was going these days. I mean, actually, there's a couple of scenes where Mikel is in hospital and I filmed that on my phone because I um, didn't want to go down the complicated route of clearing access because I would have probably said no and I would have missed... When he was in hospital, I just... By that point, I knew what the film was. So when I went to visit him, I thought, actually, this could be really interesting and and I filmed that on my phone. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I mean, I use a pretty small camera anyway. It's, you know, it's a sort of professional £5,000 camera or something, or it was a few years ago. It's probably cheaper now. But yeah, I think that there's sources for courses, really. I think, I, you know, I don't get overly obsessed with, with the technology. I think that what's more important for me is to, you know, make sure the film has that sort of directness and intimacy. And I think that whatever camera can kind of give you that. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, a friend of mine's just started a, festival it's called smart you know it's people making films on their phones we also talked about watching films of course much of it taking place recently in the very living room depicted in the movie and from the sofa on which mark is zooming me for the interview how meta can you get lauren hard is a great family favorite oh okay oh, i haven't tried that they, they do bulk up black and white but i might give it a go they love lauren hardy they absolutely adore lauren they hardy. did like the um, karate kid and the spin-off cobra kai Right. I need to I need to try them with sort of Buster Keaton and maybe Jacques Tati is next on the list. Classy. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> Let us know how you get on. What was the first film you saw at the cinema? Tommy. Wow. I had no idea what the hell this was. I was if it was 75, I would have been eight years old. I don't know if it's the very first film, it's the first one I remember. Yeah. I used to go to Saturday morning pictures in Gantz Hill Odeon, um place where Ian Jury and Blondie played as well, you know. Um it's like the most obscure location. Um, yeah, it was Tommy. I, for some reason, my mum told me to see Tommy. I just remember, the, you know, the music, really. Yeah. And I had no idea up until really recently that it was a Ken Russell film, which is even more bizarre. So I think all the kind of backstory and psychedelic stuff kind of straight over my head, you know. film have you seen the most once upon a time in america nice i think it's my favorite film ever i just i just that film is just incredible it's so precise and so moving and disturbing and i know and and so beautiful in places you know music is just mind-blowing yeah extraordinary did you have a film poster on your wall i had that for a while once upon a time in america beautiful Um, poster and now 
Oh, just my own, um, Jason. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how many filmmakers do have their own, and they feel a bit ashamed <laughs> about it. But I would be very pleased if I spent a year, two years doing something. I'd better have the poster on it, especially if there's a nice quote on it from someone. I used to have Last Resort on the wall for a while. Pavel's Pavel's film in Margate. Um, I love that film, though. What an extraordinary film that is. Yeah, it was incredible to work with him on that. It was we were such a small crew. Is that the it, film that changed your life from working on it? Oh, definitely. Like as a working experience. Yeah, that and. He made a 40-minute BBC film just before that called Talkers about a sort of love story set in Halifax where non-actors are playing, you know, playing a fictional story, but playing themselves in some way as well, which was incredible to work on, yeah. And if you want to hear more of me talking to Mark Isaacs about the delightful filmmaker's house and uh, his career, then uh, why don't you catch up with my Jason Solomon show on Totally Wired Radio. I do it every week, 12 till 2, live every Wednesday on the totallywiredradio.com website. But thereafter, you can catch up with it on their site or on Mixcloud. Just put in Jason Solomon's in the search engine on Mixcloud and you'll come up with all my Totally Wired Radio shows. So if you want the one with Mark Isaacs, look for June the 16th. And that's where I get to stretch out with much more music, playing my funk and soul and Jason's jazz trio of three back-to-back jazz gems, my movie tune of the week, Around the World in 80 Tunes, that's in there too. And uh, I also catch up with Nick Callow in the sports club classic Clubhouse and we debate the merits of a certain sporting icon every week and whether we should put them up on the sports club classic wall of fame. Then Nick always plays a, a tune from the sports club at classic jukebox. So there's lots of music on there and always a great guest. June the 16th version has got uh, me talking at more length with Mark Isaac. So you heard they're talking about the filmmaker's house. It's the Jason Solomon show on Totally Wired Radio. It's really good. The big interview on seen any good films lately is supported as ever by Strike, S-T-R-Y-K-K, the distilled drink with all the spirit, none of the alcohol. You can get it in stylish bottles and make your own or get the new Strike mixed in cans for the summer in the park or movies under the stars. Just head to strike.com to get 40% off for seen any good films lately listeners. Just enter the code Jason40 and they will deliver the rest. Cheers, Strike. And my main guest today is Ben Wheatley, the avowed movie geek British director behind darkly comic hits such as Sightseers and Kill List, as well as the Boston set Shootout, Free Fire and dystopian ballard adaptation High Rise and the recent Hitchcock adaptation Rebecca on Netflix. Ben's back now with a more down-to-earth budget in In the Earth a mushroom trip of a film set in a post-viral landscape as Joel Fry's scientist treks into the woods with a park ranger to track down Hayley Squires' rogue scientist who's gone native among the trees, wherein also lurks the murderous Zack, played by Reese Shearsmith. He told me his story. These are his memories. Can you feel him now? In the earth? No, I don't know what you mean. I think you do. In the Earth, with its trippy visuals, hammering Clint Mansell's soundtrack and fungal connections, In the Earth was also the first film I'd seen with a full Covid credits. It's Britain's first post-Covid movie all the way through. But I began by asking Ben if he'd been at the shrooms during lockdown. No. 
<laughs> I just just see that everyone keeps I keep talking to says oh are you doing shrews I'm like well yeah maybe once actually but then uh, then I saw your film and I thought oh well maybe it's a slightly more widespread uh, widespread phenomena than I than I anticipated I'm a middle-aged man I know with wife kids job all of that I know but sometimes in lockdown you know you would need to let off some steam uh, listen it was it, I, I, I liked it very much indeed this film Ben thank you Ooh. entertained me very 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 much but also you know very thoughtful about the uh connectivity in the world a bit return to your elemental soul this one for you i found it fascinating when i started reading about that the fungal connection between the roots i, I thought it'd been it almost felt like it was made up which was really bizarre you know i was reading about trees talking to each other uh quite recently i think that's another thing that sort of has, has, has surfaced that trees have a have a way of talking. Did you, is that something that you thought about before or? No, I kind of happened upon it just through a bit of random reading and then kind of went down the rabbit hole of looking at stuff online and ordering books and kind of going, oh God, it's actually really fascinating. They can hear, apparently. Obviously, with Reese being in it, I, I, I harked back to Field in England here and a bit of the, the hallucinogenics there. Are, there. are they companion pieces in a way? Did you think you were like, well, people are just going to say he's doing Field of England in, in, in modern dress? I mean, I think it's nice to... to to kind of add another layer to what you were doing before, I think. Yeah, I think they talk to each other, definitely. I mean, it's all part of the process of kind of understanding those films for me, you know. So I think Free Fire is a relationship to Field in England in many ways as well. You know, it's, it's kind of working working through those thought processes. Although that's got that's sort of quite a, a human form. Having, having done Rebecca and then come to this, were they, you know, you, talk, you, you spoke to me years ago about sort of, keeping it fresh and doing doing one that's different and one for another one and then sort of being able to sort of you know get one out rather quicker than the other than another one is that still the pattern you're you're adhering to yeah i mean i think that if you look at all of them if you look at field in england and um colin bursted and um in the earth as a pattern you know they're they're kind of usually after a, a larger budget film and it's not so much as a you know, people go, oh, it's like a palate cleanser, but it's not. It's more to do, it's more practical than that. It's usually that the next film you're going on to doesn't happen. And then you kind of go, oh, well, I've got, I haven't got two years, but I've got nine months or something. I can actually make something here if I move fast. So so that's kind of the the, the way it's worked. And it, it's certainly on this one, when COVID hit, it kind of closed down all the other projects that I was doing. And I was talking to Andy Stark, who's produced most of the other movies I've made. And we're like, oh, wow, we could actually make a film together here. Let's do it, you know, let's get it, get it done, you know. I was, it's one of the first films I've seen, it maybe I've not paid close enough attention, that had, uh, you know, COVID protocol and COVID overseers and, you know, three or four COVID credits. I don't know if it, I don't, it might be a strange, uh, strange landmark, but it, I think that, I think it goes to you. Yeah, well, we're the first production back after the first lockdown. There was, you know, Batman and Mission Impossible and Jurassic Park all resumed filming, but we were the first new production. So it was, you know, it was quite nerve wracking because we felt like the eyes of the rest of the, you know, the production community were on us. Because if we'd have gone back and screwed it up and shut down after three days and it would have been really really poor you know so obviously from an industry point of view that's right if people got sick or whatever and uh, uh, and that that hadn't worked then that would have been a, a you know a risk but also if the film had been rubbish because mm. of those restrictions people would have said well we can't work under these conditions did you work around them did was there anything you wrote that you thought oh, i can't do that because i've got to have them distanced um, I think it it began with like those conversations very early on of going, well, if you want to make a film that's indoors, say that has a lot of scenes set in houses, 
then there is a restriction there just in terms of the crew. It was us thinking about how we could do it safely as much as it was, oh, how can we get around it? You know what I mean? So we very early on, we realised, yeah, if, if we shoot outside, then the transmission is much, much harder through a, ven- a ventilated space. Like yeah, well, rather, rather, rather brilliant. And you make, make the, make the vir- necessity out of virtue out of necessity. Yeah, the, is that, that's the, that's the expression. I'm, I'm programming the cinema tent at the Green Man this year. I was watching this thinking, this is this is the film that we need to show. Exactly, it. play it five times. <laughs> People won't even remember if they've seen it or not. They'll dream it. Uh, it's a fever dream. Any sort of um, did you watch any sort of other films for it as a template? I mean, other than your own, presumably, but it, it had echoes of something, but I couldn't quite work work out where it might have been. I watched. A load of Harryhausen movies, like I watched 20,000 Leagues, The Creature from 20,000 Fathoms, and I watched 20, he, he, he does a lot of 20,000 movies, and it's 20,000, no, 20 million miles from Earth, and, and a couple of other things in terms of like science heroes versus monsters. So there, there was, that was part of the watching. I watched a load of Fulci movies, but things that were in my mind were kind of Nigel Neal things and Quatermass and, 70s Doctor Who, yeah. and also takes a chainsaw massacre, and and then weirdly stuff like Hansel and Gretel, and so it was kind of a big melting pot of stuff, really. And do you think when you watch them, do they go in, or you're watching them for references, for ideas, just for mood boards? Not really. I mean, I didn't watch. I only watched the Harryhausen movies, and I, I, I watched some of the Fulci films, but they were kind of. Well, I've been after we shot it, and went, oh god, I've made a Fulci movie, which made, made me laugh. I don't tend to. I mean, I know I've got. My memories of the films I've watched are quite present usually in my mind, so yeah. I don't need, I don't go back specifically for stuff. And also, you just got to be careful because you end up, you know, you can very easily just copy them if you're watching them and then make making your own film. Have uh, you seen any good films lately, Ben? I have watched the last film I watched was Derek Jarman's The Garden, beautiful, which I very much enjoyed. Yes. Yeah. Have you been down to the to the newly saved cottage? I haven't. I've been near-ish but not right the way down there but yeah it would be interesting down there yeah wouldn't it uh what's the first film you ever saw at the cinema the jungle book got the album uh no oh i had the i mean yeah i just played that album i was my favorite album yeah i can conjure up what the cinema looked like and the seats and the whole thing and and it for cinema for me for a long time was that experience of you know the anticipation the lights going down and hot dog adverts and and pearl and dean and and trailers and stuff and that you know it's it's all part of watching a film and know? is it still in you do is that is that for you cinema do you know what i mean even even though you can't have all that but you you yeah think of that before you're starting the thing starting the, the start yeah. of it's still really really yeah. exciting which of. cinema what, what cinema was it basildon i want to say abc but i'm not sure it's yeah. something like that at yeah. that point but we we were pretty starved of cinema when we were kids because we lived in Billericay in Essex and like the only Basildon was the nearest cinema and I could probably name the film all the films I saw as a kid because there's about it's only about six right go on then so, oh all right uh, Love Bug oh I love on, that and on a repeat yeah um, Superman Star Wars Capcom One Capcom One yeah I don't know why we wouldn't see that that was a bit random yeah that's pretty much all we saw at the cinema and then maybe we saw later on i saw yentl <laughs> i can see yentl coming through in all your work to be honest <laughs> i'm a bit of yentl we, we, we were listening to the soundtrack to it the other day you know love it yeah but um we were we saw that at the uh, swiss cottage odeon and um 
My mum had taken us to see it. I don't know why we bunked off school to see it. The couple in front of us is when, when she does the big reveal and uh, and the couple in front of us is like, what, I don't understand, what's her secret? I'm like, oh, you've, it's like three hours long, you don't understand. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Still a very good film, I have to say, Yentl. It's a great film. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Papa, please forgive me. Try to understand me. Papa, don't you know I had no choice? Can you hear me praying? Anything I'm saying, even though the night is filled with voices. I remember everything you taught me, every book I've ever If I could send you back to any film set in the world, give you the power of time travel to a film being made, which one would you visit? I mean, I've got a thing when I go on a set, I always ask permission of the director because I think another director being on a director's set is a really, is a slightly uh, aggressive, <laughs> aggressive move. And so it's almost like, it's like a vampire. You have to invite them into your house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I I, I saw that question. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know what I, what I think about that. The thing that's in my head at the moment is probably the third man. Oh, wonderful. Just as, just because the the city was so in, amazing at that point anyway, that they really would just be interesting to go around Vienna and look around. Yeah, it, you know? get on top of that uh, big wheel. Yeah. Be up there. I mean, you don't have to go in your capacity as another filmmaker to sort of say to, you know, to Carol Reed, well, I wouldn't do it like that, mate. Yes, I would, don't think so. I think I would rub his coat and hope that some of it rubbed off. Yes, That's... bit of genius. Then you can go meet Oliver as well, you know. What, what a pair. I don't, I'm not sure filmmaking actually works like this, you know. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not osmosis. Oh, damn. I used to believe in God. Well, I still do believe in God, only. I believe in God and mercy and all that, but the dead are happier dead. They don't miss much here, poor devils. What do you believe in? Oh, if you ever get Anna out of this mess, be kind to her. You'll find she's worth it. I wish I'd asked you to bring me some of these tablets from home. Holly, I'd like to cut you in, old man. There's nobody left in Vienna I can really trust, and we've always done everything together. When you make up your mind, send me a message. I'll meet you any place, any time. And when we do meet, old man, it's you I want to see. Not the police. Remember that, won't you? <laughs> Don't be so gloomy. After all, it's not that awful. But what the fellow said, in Italy for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. So long, Harry. Did you have a film poster on your wall when you were a kid? Um, no. We used to nick the time out posters that they had on the newsstands and we would nick those every week i might have had one with the three freddy's three claws coming out of it from i remember that quite vivid, vividly or i might have had jamie lee curtis from perfect oh yes but um in the uh in the in the sort of uh sweat sweat gear you know yes in a leotard yeah. dancing outfit um but i think that yeah generally it wasn't film posters i had on my wall it was more like bits of um nme or you yeah. know bands and yeah, stuff yeah. what about now have you got any film posters none none you do have bare walls i can i can vouch you are coming to me for yeah the void. i mean 
we we had all the we had loads of posters and then we've just taken them down one by one in the end i mean the one i've got one expensive poster which is the man who fell to earth and a, a one sheet of that and it that's my favorite one but it's but that's down at the moment somewhere in a cupboard i think oh no it's good for good inspiration you need those have you got a favorite um musical number or musical moment in a film yeah it's um the beginning of indiana jones in the temple of doom when she's when she sings um uh, anything goes very nice hadn't it hadn't occurred to me that one i love that every time it comes on it makes me really smile she does it well actually yeah, yeah it's really brilliant yeah yeah <laughs> and that whole sequence is just genius you know it's that's a, a master class in action and comedy and yeah Sometimes that question I ask about action sequence, if people don't like music, but the music is key in that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it, but it's that thing, it's around that period of like, you know, with Scorsese was doing New York, New York. It's not, well, it's a few years later, but it's like, but it's that thing of the, of, of the movie directors harking back to the Busby Berkeley stuff, isn't it? And kind of, and finding a way to put it into their movie. So just so they can flex, you know, and I think that <laughs> that's got all that crazy stuff of them running the legs backwards and all the footage backwards. And it, but it also it makes no sense. Cause it's like, you know, it's in a fantasy space, but not even in the club, it's just in a studio somewhere. And then it, then it comes, comes through yes. the dragon's mouth, but yeah, no, just love it. Genius. I suppose free fire, you did it in free fire yourself more the, the, the sort of setting to to music was was kind of key to that one with action yeah it's being able to have a signature track in something which is always nice you know but that had been something i've been thinking about for ages that the um the john denver thing because i i found it was one of the memories that i had from a kid is that song annie's songs mm. it took me i could hear it in my head but i c- couldn't remember what it was and it took me ages to track it down and I'm glad uh, you did yeah, I mean, it was weird that year. It was about four other films had it in as well. Yes, I know. I think I remarked upon it at the time, but I mean, it was key to yours. Felt like sort of texture. Yeah, it was in Opta, wasn't it? Weirdly, and then it was, and then they had another Denver track was in the uh, not Prometheus, but the second Alien sequel, the um, whatever that was called. Um, was that not Prometheus? That was the that was a prequel. No, that Prometheus was. The, I mean, of the new Ridley Scott yeah. one. So it's Prometheus, and it was. Whatever that one was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was in space. Yes, of course. It was miles. Yeah, the, yeah, totally. Is there a film that changed your life, Ben? Either like you watched and went, oh, right, this is what I'm going to do, or uh, and working on. Well, I mean, the film that changed my life in terms of working on would have been Down Terrace with the first film I made, because that was the moment it went from being someone who wanted to be a filmmaker to being a filmmaker. And, and we didn't really, none of us appreciated who worked on it really how monumental it was for us, for our careers and for um, for us personally. And that but, really was the calling card, even though, you know, the the one after became, well, sort of better known in a way, but Down Terrace. I mean, I remember watching it, the first press screening, I think everyone went, who's this? What is this? This is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it was like a calling card because it actually did what it was supposed to do in terms of, but it's just lower budget. And it and it was going from a position of like just talking about it to doing it. And that that is, that's a, that's a ravine. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is the big step you did it yeah yeah and it seemed to be just like an epiphany of like oh if we just reduce the amount of time it takes to shoot it we can do it and we did a test day and it worked out and then we shot the film and it was fine and we were all really shocked by it when we watched it back we were like oh it's actually a movie and we yeah. still get that feeling you know you still get that feeling of going oh it looks like a film is a thing that we say a lot like, oh it looks like a film so it is a film you know yeah 
<laughs> and what about the film that you watched that changed your life? It's a lot of different things. I think sometimes it's to do with watching movies at, um, when I was a kid and I had to go to bed at seven. So you'd get a film that started at six. So you'd see the first act of a film. So seeing, the, which was torture, like seeing Dr. No or something and then going, you're going at the next ad break and you're like, oh God, really? And then, so they were they were so amazing seeing those like Bond movies or or, or war films like Guns of Navarone or something like that. But I think the film that as an adult, well, quasi adult as a that I saw all the way through would have been that really affected me would have been Taxi Driver, I think. And then just going, oh, seeing that it was abstract but realistic at the same time and um, incredibly violent but kind of poetic and and politically really challenging and all those things all wrapped up in a, in one movie and then just going, oh, it's a it's the first time I felt that there was authorship on a film. Yeah. Like, oh, someone's made this. It's not just, not all films, just the telly doesn't make them. It's... No. And then, and then you, you know that you can do that. Oh, I didn't, I, you know, oh, I didn't know you could do that in a film. Oh, I'm, I can do that. Can I? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to try and do that. Or, or it's like the feeling of the, the emotions. I remember the other one would be something like Scum or on the Alan oh, yeah. Clark movies. And you, you just go, oh, I've never felt this tense. I've never felt this you know, this kind of release or this sick watching something. And I think those those two movies together kind of did that to me. Oh, I remember the scum exactly the same. I did feel, I felt sick, scared, oh, sad, everything. Oh, amazing. Uh, ben, brilliant to share those memories with you, actually. Thank you very much for joining me on Seen Any Good Feels Lately. Brilliant to talk to you. I really enjoyed In the Earth, actually. And I think uh, we'll keep replaying it. Festivals around the world, we're going to kind of champion it. And so I'm really, if I can program it at the Green Man, um, then brilliant. And if you can come along and say hello, that would be amazing. Yeah, man, double bill it within the Earth, with um, Film in England. That's yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, got, it's the Wheatley Festival. I, I like it. <laughs> It's got something to it. Ben, lovely to see you. Keep well, mate. Nice one, Jason. In the Earth is out now, and Ben, before he starts making The Meg 2, yeah, he's doing that with Jason Statham. Uh, he's touring the film In the Earth around with Q&A appearances. It's the first post-COVID movie tour, ladies and gentlemen. It's pretty cool, In the Earth, and very weird. I should, of course, mention another film that I've seen lately, Shiver Baby, which is now streaming on Mubi. It's set at a shiver, that's S-H-I-V-A, a shiver, which is the, the wake that follows a Jewish funeral, usually held at one of the mourners' houses. So this film is a cringe comedy about a young Jewish New Yorker who turns up with her parents at a shiver, uh, only to be asked a series of excruciating questions from nosy family friends, only to have the sugar daddy that she's sleeping with for money turning up with his perfect blonde non-Jewish wife and to have her ex-lover a girl there too I mean it's just a perfect storm it is funny it's intensely observed it's neurotically performed by Rachel Sennett and there's the great Fred Melamede who plays her dad it's written and directed by Emma Seligman here's a clip Danielle hi Hey, you. You look stunning. Oh, thank you. Absolutely gorgeous. Thanks. So, any boyfriends? Um, no, not yet, or right now. I'm so excited about graduating. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, uh, I have, like, some exams left, and then, um, I have some interviews that I'm gonna really? do. Really? You didn't tell me. Where? 
I'm, well, I don't think you know the places. Do you still make those little videos? I always thought those were so fun. I haven't done one in a while. So acting is still your goal. No, it's like comedy, stand-up. Um, what was your major again, sweetie? No, no, she doesn't have a major, Mom. Uh, she makes it up. Be like, you got a diploma. Right? Yeah, I think it was politics. Now, I'm trying to think if I know anybody. I always remember you were such a humanitarian yes. growing up. I liked Shiver Baby, even if it was ghastly and recognisable at times, painfully so. You want to shut your eyes and ears at moments and just hide, which is often how a shiver can be, I suppose. Although we do do it out of duty. We do it for our parents, we do it for respect. She's doing it here for money too. And of course, the bagels are always worth turning up for. Okay, Jason's three to see. The Father is still my top tip. Christopher Hampton was great on the last podcast, so listen to that and go and see The Father and just think it's the best thing in the cinemas. I loved uh, that recommendation from Mark Isaacs, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, uh, the old uh, sort of cut-out illustration. Uh, the filmmaker he was talking about was Lottie Reiniger. That's who uh, we couldn't remember the name of, Lottie Reiniger. It's one for all the family, that one, if you can track that one down on DVD. Uh, and... Well, I'm still cheering in the cinemas for A Quiet Place 2. I think that would be really good fun if you haven't been back to the theatres yet. A Quiet Place 2 with Emily Blunt. Right, that's it for this show. Thanks to Mark Isaacs. Thanks to Ben Wheatley. Thanks to Strike. And big thanks to my editor, Kate Dawkins, for all her work every week on every episode. So let's go out with a blast from Ben Wheatley and his film Free Fire with the strains of John Denver's Annie's song, floating in. See you next time. So before we head home, do you want to go for dinner with me? Oh, wow. I didn't factor that in. Well, I mean, I know we're just mad and all, but mm -hmm. it's unlikely that I'll be over here again before too long, so I thought we could maybe <laughs> grab a bite. Well, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound like a very good investment. Yeah, fuck it. But you know, forget, forget I said that. Oh, well. Oh, fuck it. Chances come to me Come love me.